Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hi, this is Mark Bianchi from the Cowan Energy Team. Today, we're kicking off a new podcast series around the energy transition with a focus on carbon capture and storage. So in today's discussion, I'm going to give you a background on, on the topic of carbon capture and storage. I'm going to define the major functional areas. I'm going to talk a little bit about the cost structure, and I'm going to present some of the the high-level numbers in terms of um, you know carbon emissions, what's expected in terms of uh, carbon capture ramp up, and, and what some of the the challenges are going to be around that. Before I get into that, I just want to quickly introduce Cowan's energy transition research and and how we're sort of positioning our efforts around the topic because I think it's it's a bit unique and and I really do believe it's it's the right way to approach this. So we've taken the view that uh, you need to cover both sides of the transition to be effective. So uh, you need to have expertise in fossil fuels as well as all the new energies that are going to be on the other side of the transition. So we've got, um, in addition to already strong coverage in clean tech, we have fossil fuel analysts such as myself uh, who continue to cover the fossil fuel industry but are also added coverage in new areas such as hydrogen and EV charging and um, batteries and the battery supply chain and so forth. So we've got this sort of dual coverage with with a foot on both sides of the transition that we think gives us um, a better perspective for for how the transition is going to evolve. We've also recently added energy policy research, but not just energy policy where that, that person also does ESG which again is sort of a, an appreciation of, you've got to cover the whole spectrum of transition from old energy to new energy. Uh, and, and we think that we've really designed the research effort around that, that central view. I just want to spend a, another few seconds talking about ESG more broadly, because it's not just in the, the energy transition side of our work where, where Cowan's focused on, on ESG. The, the ESG topic really permeates all of our fundamental research and simply stated, we intend to make ESG investable, whether it's the energy analyst team that I sit on or other industries within Cowan's coverage, we're all focused on providing bottom-up stock ideas for investors that are focused on ESG and sustainability. Cowan was the first major Wall Street firm to place company-specific ESG scores on the cover of all of our research reports, and Cowan analysts incorporate ESG into our fundamental analysis. We've got a bunch of conferences that are all focused on ESG. Uh, We've got a a dedicated sales team for ESG and a dedicated corporate access team for ESG. So so really, we believe we've got this comprehensive offering uh, around ESG that can help our clients outperform. So... Switching over to uh, the focus now of the, this first few episodes that we have, it's on carbon capture. And I think this really exemplifies the interconnection um, of old and new energy. Uh, if you think about what carbon capture is, in essence, you're collecting CO2 from an industrial process or a power plant uh, that's then being transported um, through a pipeline and then ultimately injected uh, into some kind of underground storage 
usually a depleted oil and gas field. So all of those things are things that the energy industry has done for many years, but they serve an important part of the energy transition. We've got that group of mature technologies that are being employed. And then along with it, there's a host of very interesting emerging technologies that we're, we're gonna talk about that look to lower the cost of capture. And that's gonna be really important in driving the adoption of carbon capture and, and meeting some of these, these climate targets that we have. So during the series, uh, we're gonna cover all of that. Uh, we've got a, a great lineup of companies, uh, companies such as Air Products, Baker Hughes, Talos Energy, uh, Chart Industries, just to name a few. Um, so look forward to, to embarking on this learning experience through these podcasts. Along with um, the start of this series, we also put out a carbon capture primer uh, that carbon capture primer um, includes a lot of background on what carbon capture is, how it works, the different types of capture, uh, some growth rates around it. Uh, so if you're looking for a really handy reference for all these things around carbon capture, that's a good document. Um, it'll also be helpful to review before the the several podcasts that we have because some of the discussion is going to get into um, into some some nitty-gritty technical stuff so it's, it's good to have a little bit of an appreciation going in so what i'm going to do now is just kind of provide an overview uh of of the the main points in that primer report uh hopefully save you the time of, of reading through it so let's start with some numbers Currently, there's about 40 million tons of CO2 captured per year. Climate research suggests that uh, the world needs to get to net zero by 2050 to avoid the worst consequences of climate change. And this is stuff that you know the, the Paris Agreement and, and the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which aggregates a lot of climate research, this is all what, what those, um, those groups have said. And there's a lot of buy-in um, for this from uh, from many many governments that have announced net zero pledges by the by mid-century uh, as well as a whole bunch of corporations that are that are targeting net zero by by 2050 so there's a lot of buy-in and there's going to be a lot of investment around this whether or not we get there remains to be seen but um, certainly there there's a big push for this now and there's going to be a lot of investment dollars uh, and and activity around trying to get there so um, to put you know what it takes to get there in perspective right now the world um, humans produce about 35 to 40 billion tons of co2 per year so that's 35 to 40 billion i just mentioned the carbon capture number was 40 million um, so of that 35 to 40 billion that needs to go to zero uh, estimates one from the iea uh, says that to get to net zero um, we need to capture about a billion seven tons in 2030 and then over 7 billion tons in 2050. So going from 40 million today to 1.7 billion in 2030 and, and 7 billion or over 7 billion in 2050. So that's a, a huge increase in, in the amount of carbon capture. And, and that IEA analysis involves everything else that's going on with energy transition, right? Like nuclear power and renewables and um, electric vehicles and so forth. So this is just you know, what they solve for as, as the carbon capture component to get there. Um, most of that capture is occurring 
at what's called point sources. So if you think about industrial activities or um, power generation where you know there's there's some sort of CO2 um, exhaust coming out and, and you can capture that. Um, there's another smaller portion of the capture that is pulling CO2 out of the atmosphere. And that's a much more expensive process uh, if you're doing it mechanically because uh, the CO2 is, is more diluted. Um, the concentration of CO2 is really the, the largest driver of the cost to capture. So things on the low end of the cost to capture spectrum are, are things like natural gas processing. Uh, fermentation is very low cost. Uh, gasification of fossil fuels uh, that's used to make syngas that has a, a pretty low cost of capture. And then you move into more diluted streams of CO2. Uh, that's things like flue gas from, from a power plant. Um, and then there's the direct air capture, which is the atmosphere that's, that's much more expensive. Um, there's another case of uh, carbon removal from the atmosphere, uh, which is known as BECS. It stands for Bioenergy with Carbon Capture and Sequestration. What BEX does is use photosynthesis to pull CO2 out of the air through, through growing biomatter. So if you think of uh, trees intentionally planted for this purpose, uh, the trees grow throughout their life and, and they capture CO2, uh, and then the trees are harvested and used for power generation. So you combust, you burn the wood um, to generate power and in that process, you're also capturing the CO2 and, and sequestering it. So the whole life cycle um, pulls CO2 out of the atmosphere and generates power. BEX is still a bit of a science project. It's, it's part of many climate models uh, because the thought is that we, we need to get to negative emissions in the second half of the century because we're not gonna get to net zero fast enough. We're, we're gonna um, overshoot our emissions budget over the next couple decades, so we need to compensate for that in the back half of this, the century by having negative emissions and BEX is viewed as, as one way to do that, uh, but it's not widely um, deployed today. The other sort of subset of BEX, I guess, is, is just planting forests without the power generation side of it. Uh, afforestation, um, both BEX and afforestation have problems where we're not sure uh, what the ecological impacts are going to be. Um, you're potentially reducing biodiversity through this systematic planting of the same type of tree um, or same type of plant. So there, there's concerns that that, that could uh, create problems. There's, there's water concerns and, and lots of things that go along with um, deploying this at scale that, that the world just doesn't really know how it's going to work. Now let's talk about the cost structure for a minute and, and the the categories within carbon capture. The capture piece we've talked a little bit about already, um, that is really determined by the purity of the CO2. And this also brings up a, another point about pre-combustion and, and post-combustion. So you can capture CO2 uh, in a lot of chemical processes. So I mentioned the fermentation, I mentioned gasification. Um, those are pre-combustion uh, applications where uh, you're, in the case of the gasification, you're creating a syngas, which is usually what you're doing to try to produce hydrogen. Ultimately, the hydrogen goes on to be combusted. Um, but in this initial step, you're capturing the CO2 um, 
before the product gets combusted. Um, so that's sort of the low end of the cost curve, those types of things. And they're going to have costs anywhere from the $20 to $50 per ton range. Um, that includes compression. All of this, this stuff needs to be compressed to go into a pipeline and ultimately be stored. Um, so that's the low end, high purity, 20 to 50. Middle of the range is um, stuff that is generally combusted. So if you think about the power plant uh, examples, natural gas and, and coal, and this is post combustion. So we're talking about a flue gas um, coming out of the power plant and capturing that. Um, those costs are gonna be in the ballpark of 50 to $100 a ton of capture. And then when you get into the, um, the direct air capture stuff, you know, where we're talking about pulling CO2 out of the atmosphere, um, and that's, you know, a much more dilute uh, concentration, uh, you're talking in, in several hundred dollars, you know, anywhere from a, a 150 to, to 300 plus dollars um, for the capture. So, so that's the capture piece. Uh, the other two categories, as I mentioned, uh, you've got transport, and storage. Um, both of them are fairly small. Uh, you know, their, their contribution to the total cost uh, obviously is larger for the, the higher purities because the capture cost is so much smaller. But in general, um, the, the transport and storage is fairly low. And it doesn't care how the capture was done, right? A, a CO2 molecule is a CO2 molecule. So the, the storage um, and transport are really independent of what type of capture we're talking about. They will vary um, depending on where uh, you're storing the CO2, how far does it need to travel in a pipeline, for instance, and um, what the storage application is. So there's a lot of storage that will take place onshore, and that'll be lower cost than the storage that takes place offshore. And it's just like what you see in the oil and gas world where um, you know offshore costs can be more expensive than, than onshore costs. Um, in terms of some, some rough numbers, uh, the transport piece is probably, you know, in the, the seven, eight, nine, $10 range, um, per ton on a, on a 250 kilometer average, uh, average distance. Um, the, uh, the storage piece is pretty, pretty consistent, especially if you're looking at onshore storage uh, in the U.S. in particular. There's there's a lot of storage in the in the five to ten dollar per ton range. If you get offshore, um, the cost curve is a bit steeper, uh, but there's still a bunch of storage available in the sort of, you know, 10, 15, 20 dollar per ton range. So, um, you know, if you think about the components, then, uh, you know, you could look at the the, the high concentration CO2, you know, having that call it 20 to $50 capture cost plus another $20 of, of transport and storage. Um, you know, you're talking about something like, like 40 to $70. Uh, if you move into the, the lowish concentration CO2. So we're talking about, you know, the post combustion power plant stuff. Um, you know, if you're, if you're capturing for, um, say, $70 and then you've got, you know, another $20 of, of transport and storage, you know, maybe you're $90 a ton, um, all in on a levelized basis for, for that. And then the direct air capture, as I mentioned, is, could be several hundred dollars for, for the capture piece. Um, you know, and then you're talking about just putting another 
20 bucks of, of transport and storage on there. And again, this is all uh, generalizations. Every, every situation is going to have, you know, you might be closer to uh, a, a storage point um, for your facility than, than something else. And that's going to add a few bucks. Um, but, you know, we're really talking about single digit dollars that are the differences in, in storage and transport, whereas the type of capture um, can be, you know, tens of dollars or, or hundreds of dollars. Uh, so hopefully that gives a little bit of a flavor for the differences in, in, in the cost buckets. So before we wrap up, I just want to spend a couple minutes talking about hydrogen. Um, hydrogen occupies this uh, interesting uh, cross-section of, of the whole carbon capture and energy transition discussion. Many people, when they think about hydrogen, especially if you've sort of first heard about it in the past couple of years, you think about it as part of the energy transition and part of the, the uh, so-called hydrogen economy, where you know we're going to use hydrogen to store and ship electricity all over the place. Uh, it's going to be used to power fuel cells and, and all these other sort of fossil fuel replacement um, activities that, that people see hydrogen being being used for. And, and we think a lot of that will happen, um, but there's also a big hydrogen economy today that uh, people don't talk a lot about. And that's just a um, where it's used in industry for, for things like refining um, in ammonia production for fertilizers and methanol. So there, there's already a lot of hydrogen being produced today for, for things that we need for our daily lives. Um, but most of that hydrogen production, almost all of that hydrogen production is produced using fossil fuels. Uh, it's known as gray hydrogen. And that production process emits a lot of CO2. It's about 10 tons of CO2 for every ton of hydrogen that's produced. Uh, so the hydrogen market today is about 75 million tons. So that means that there's about 750 million tons of associated CO2 emission um, from that hydrogen uh, production process. Uh, that works out to about 2% of the 35 to 40 billion tons of, uh, of human-caused CO2 emissions that I mentioned. So there's a huge opportunity here to um, capture that CO2 from uh, gray hydrogen and, and, and really lower the, lower the emissions profile of, of just our current at uh, activities in, in hydrogen. Then there's this idea that um, we can do greenfield projects for hydrogen uh, where we purpose-built uh, a hydrogen facility and capture the CO2 to make blue hydrogen. And that can be inter intermediate step until green hydrogen is available down the road. Um, so blue hydrogen is um, taking a fossil fuel process and capturing the CO2. Uh, to make a, a low carbon uh, a low carbon hydrogen molecule, and then green hydrogen is sort of the future, uh, which is a totally different process. It involves uh, electrolysis of water, which is essentially using electricity to split water into into hydrogen and oxygen, um, and you can create a, a, a hydrogen molecule from that. That if the electricity is from uh, a zero emission source, then it's a, a zero emission uh, emission hydrogen molecule. If it if the electricity comes from renewables, it's called green hydrogen. If the electricity comes from uh, nuclear, it's called pink hydrogen. But both would be sort of a zero CO two emission hydrogen. So that's the future, and and the thought is that costs will come down, and we'll be able to produce green hydrogen competitively. Uh, 
but that's you know maybe 2030. So the thought is we can develop a bunch of blue hydrogen between now and then to build the infrastructure out, uh, to build the, the the end market demand. So you know municipal bus fleets running on blue hydrogen someday down the road get converted to to green hydrogen, and that's sort of where the transition comes into play. So I'll stop there. Thanks a lot if you've if you've listened this far. The the report is out there with um, all of these things explained in, in more detail with lots of uh, charts and reference uh, for, for you to look at. We're going to follow this up with some other commentary after we've had all the podcasts and come back to you with, with some conclusions. Uh, feel free to reach out if you've got any questions. I'm Mark Bianchi from the Cowan Energy team, uh, and thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.